Hey, and welcome to episode three of our Quince Flowers podcast. It is hosted by myself, Peter Mason, along with my sister, Caitlin Mason. How are you going today, Caitlin? Oh, pretty good. How are you, Pete? Oh, pretty good too. I've been out in the garden planting some dahlia seedlings. I've been getting uh, some fencing up as well. Zinnias are going well, cleaning out worm farms. And the whole time I've been um, out there this morning, I've been thinking about how awesome it is to be talking to our guest that's coming up on today's episode. But Caitlin, how's your yep. garden going? Oh, well, very good, actually. Yesterday I went and visited Wayne McCosker, which is the reigning state champion of the Queensland Dahlia Society. So I saw his tubers. And then this morning I did some checking of my own tubers and they have got eyes popping uh, mm. and... We've got all the fencing in now, so we are ready to plant uh, probably this afternoon. Wow. Or uh, starting to plant. There's a lot to plant. So episode three, Dahlia shoots have emerged. Absolutely. And it's, uh, we're recording this on the 4th of October, everybody. And my plan is to have everything in um, by the end of October. So I've got, I've got to start now to get it all done. Yeah, me too. Actually, I got an update on an order um, for you from someone so I'll let you know about that after we do the podcast oh my gosh I've got these orders coming in that I have forgotten about and I'm actually I better not speak too loudly because Sam the, the, the boy said no more dahlias but anyway it is what it is <laughs> <laughs> it's a good problem to have Yes, yes. Now to find the room. Anyway, onwards and upwards. What are we up to today? Well, Caitlin, today we're going to be talking to Kelly Monday and she grows in southern Tasmania. So about as far removed from where we grow our dahlias here in Queensland as you can possibly get while, you know, still in Australia. So I think it's going to be really exciting to hear about the different techniques she has to employ and the different management strategies that she implements in a cold climate compared to our subtropics. Absolutely. It couldn't be more different, uh, but I'm excited to hear how she overcomes some of her challenges because I've seen the flowers she grows and they're beautiful. So let's um, introduce our first guest. Yeah, welcoming to Quince Flowers Episode 3, Kelly Monday from Middle Hill Farm. How are you going? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? We're going good as well, Kelly. Now, uh, first up, could you introduce yourself and where your farm is located? Yeah, of course. So I'm Kel. Everyone calls me Kel. Um, I live on a little 30-acre property about 40 minutes south of Hobart in a little sort of suburb called Pelvarata. Um, it's pretty remote. It's If you don't know where you're going, you're going to get lost. But it's a beautiful part of the state. I'm up nice and high. I get snow. I get sun. You know, it's kind of the best of all the worlds. I've actually just got goosebumps of you as you've said that because I've, I, I follow you on social media and I see all your beautiful sheep and your climate and it just looks glorious, Kelly. Oh, it is glorious. We've also, you know, had a ton of rain the last three days, so it's glorious mud at the moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we don't know about that up here, so yeah, we were actually no, <laughs> we were joking that where where you grow is about as far removed as you could get from where we grow here in Queensland. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's funny, you know, same same country, but two totally different kind of climates and areas and situations it's amazing where you travel and what you can find and Kel can you just tell us um, just a little bit about yourself I know you're heavily involved with the Hobart Dahlia section and uh, you have a would you say a flower farm sort of sort of so by day I'm a paramedic that's that's my real job so to speak yes. um, and then you know when I'm not at work um, I have 
probably farms a bit of an extension at the moment. It's it's a patch at the moment, but you know, plans to become a proper farm. But yep, so I have a good size flower patch. Um, we've just got dahlias and bearded iris and a few peonies in there, oh, um, gorgeous. which is a small part of a bigger farm where I've got yep. sheep and a couple of cows and chooks and the dog and. Yeah. 30 acres doesn't sound very small to us, Kel, so don't worry about that. <laughs> well, it's, and, it's a bit cheeky because like two-thirds of that is bush, so I don't actually uh, have to look after that part. Oh, that's nice, but you've got all the wilderness and the the native yeah, animals around. And Kel, could you tell us a bit about your climate? Like I know you're in southern Tasmania, but how cold would it get? Um, look, it's... It does vary. We've actually had a really mild winter. So, you know, it only got down to sort of five or six degrees on the coldest day, which sounds really cold, but it, it actually wasn't that bad. So, um, but yeah, we sort of get down into the minus twos to minus fives pretty regularly in the morning. So we get nice heavy frosts here. Mm. But by the same token, during summer, it gets to 35, 38 degrees some days here. So, we do vary from the very cold to the, the, the reasonably hot, probably not by your standards, but for us here, it's like that's pretty hot for us. So mm. um, we kind of like I like it here because we actually do get defined seasons. Our summers wouldn't be far off your summers then, um, but I dare say ours might go for a bit longer than yours here in Toowoomba. Um, oh, Kelsey? definitely, like five minutes here. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, not, not weeks on end. Um, no. And Kel- can you tell us your dahlia season when would you start planting oh look it's really hard to say sometimes because you mm. kind of got to guess based on the forecast for the next couple of months so we we stop getting frosts about now which okay. is great which you know we could plant now so to mm. speak however our problem is rainfall um, we get like 70% of our rain in the next two to three months for the whole year. So wow. the ground, yeah, like, you know, we've had 60 mil in the last three days here. So the yeah. ground is soaked, which is where the danger comes, obviously, with mm. rotten tubers. So traditionally I sort of plant mid-November. Um, I have planted as early as the first week of September and as late as the week of Christmas. Wow. Just to sort of play with what happens and how yes. it, how they grow. Um, I'm actually going a little bit earlier this year and I've, I've done a bit of a trial where I've left half of my stock in the ground, which is moderately terrifying, let me tell you. Yes. Um, but, you know, like you, you sort of get up to the number of plants I've got and it's, mm. it's a lot to dig them all every year. So I'm doing a bit of a trial and we'll see how it goes. It'll either go really well or it'll fail miserably, but that's okay. It's okay. It doesn't matter, does it? It's Kelly, what, okay. <laughs> it's okay. And what sort of numbers are you growing this year? Because just for a bit of a recap, when I started growing dahlias, you were the person I went to a lot with all my questions. Yes. How, you've been growing for a that few That was a while ago now. That was five years ago. So how long would you have been oh, growing see, for, that's Kelly? that's crazy. Um, close. This will be my eighth season this year. Yeah, wow. Um, coming. So... Yeah, and I mean, like I was like everyone else, I started with, you know, half a dozen plants the first mm. year and was hooked and then the next year it was 30 and then the year after that it was 100 and, you know, like I exponentially grew every year. So last year it was about 1,700 plants. Wow. This year, wow. yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> um, this year will probably be the same amount of known varieties but there's also a big seedling patch going in this year. So 
Um, oh, I don't know, probably around 2,000 maybe, like at a guess. I'm not going to count them all, I'll tell no, you that. that's too many to count. <laughs> no, who cares? <laughs> yes, who cares when you get to that number? So yeah. would, would a couple of hundred of those be, so a couple of hundred of those would be seedlings, Kelly? Yeah, I reckon. So by my count of what I pulled, like the seed number I pulled out of the patch last year, I probably got four to 500 seeds, but obviously not all of those will germinate. So whatever happens to germinate, I'll plant um, wow. and I'll just go from there. And do you let the bees do the pollination or, or do you get around into it by hand? Oh, no, I don't have time for that. Um, <laughs> no, no. So I let the bees do it, but I, um, so sort of beginning of May, I go around and I pull every flower off every plant I don't want to be pollinated or to have pollen taken from. Um, so, you know, like the, the garden varieties and the ones that aren't really show quality or yeah. the ones that are too big, um, you know, for sort of cut flowers and that, I, I get rid of all them or I cut them and give them to everybody else. And, um, and then I'll let the bees go to town for the next sort of three weeks of the flower season. And so they, they pollinate selectively in that I kind of choose a variety or a type that I'm like, I really want that one and I'll leave a big bunch around them. And so they'll, you know, they'll go by nearby plants and nearby flowers and pollinate from that kind of spot, but yeah. not by hand. But it's, 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 it's kind of halfway between. It's like influenced bee pollination. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, actually. I like that, influence. That's, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what you want. I mean, you could go to the limits of going, I want to I want to pollinate plant A and I'm going to plant, you know, these three varieties around it, but that's a lot of planning. Especially because you've got so many, like, yeah, that's a lot yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's maybe, you know, when I retire, that's that's what I'll do. <laughs> oh, you're a while off that, Kel, so don't worry about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, and, Kel, can you tell us, I know you're heavily involved in uh, the Hobart Dahlia sec- um, section. Are you growing um, to sell tubers or, or just to have the flowers for yourself? What What's your goals with your patch? Yeah, so, yeah, in the Dahlia Society, it's been, oh, maybe I've been a member probably three years now, maybe. Um, I was sort of, you know, one of those hanger honorers first before I actually yes. got into it. Yeah, um, and I understand. Yeah, so I'm treasurer now, of course, because you get in and then you get involved and then you get sucked <laughs> yeah. in. And um, yeah, so which, I mean, look, to be honest, is the easiest job in the place because um, you've got to do, you know, a few things a couple of times a year, but um I've there's always something to do in a couple of years there's yeah. always something to do um so yeah they dragged me into showing kicking and screaming two years ago um that was an interesting experience i <laughs> i got lectured about the type of show dailies you should be growing and the type that i was growing which i thought were beautiful but clearly were not show worthy <laughs> um so yeah so i separate my patch now so i've got you know, sort of the traditional hundred or so plants that you grow just for showing. Yes. Um, and, you know, I kind of baby them a little bit more than I do the others. And yep. they're, you know, grown with stakes and, you know, they're disbudded beautifully. And then the rest of my patch is just, they're not staked at all. They're left to do their own thing. They either fall over or they grow or they don't. Um, so, yeah, that's the way I separate mine. Um Growing wise, I kind of mainly grow for tubers. I sort of set out to do that and yep. I've, I've kept on that. The last couple of years I've done a little bit of supplying of the flowers, but it's kind of been on a, you know, for big events and that sort of thing where they come up and they just 
clear me out of flowers because I, I don't have time to do markets or, you know, do deliveries to town to all the florists and things. So that kind of works for me so far and, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. So you don't stake, but do you, do you plant closer together so that they kind of hold themselves up or how do you how do you go about not staking dahlias? Because like we... Is it not that windy down there? How how do you how do you? Oh get no, that? it blows a gale down here. The winds are horrific down here. Um, okay. No, no. So it's yeah, it's funny. Like people kind of like what you don't stake them. It's like yeah, well. Um, so I plant east to west because that's where my yep. prevailing winds come from. Um, and so I do plant fairly tightly. So they're on a like a 40 centimetre staggered row and there's two kind of rows to every big row, if that makes sense. Yep, yep. Yes. Um, and that way they kind of, they move with each other, but they don't tear each other out of the ground. Um, I always lose a few, but I also, generally speaking, knock my plants back twice so they're shorter and bushier rather than, you know, getting to the six feet high that, you know, Glenmark Margaret gets. Um, mm. So they don't get to those like really big, tall things. Um, and I find by keeping them shorter, I actually end up getting better tubers out of them anyway. So it, they put it more works for me. In. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, I've sort of done a few different things around seeing, you know, how disbudding and how knocking them back and you know, keeping them to one stem, how that affects tuber growth and, yeah. you know, sort of, got that down to what I think I like now and the tubers that they make. But, oh, it's an art. You just play with something and change something every time and see if it works. And and it depends what you're growing for too, I think, Kel. Like, um, so just when you say you knock them back, would that be, I'm thinking here in Queensland, would be about the January mark. When would it be for you? Um, oh, I go through, it's very similar. I tend to go through at Christmas um, yeah. and knock back anything that's a suitable height then. Like I don't go and go, oh, this this one's ready, I'll take this one and this one. I just do one big, everything that's ready goes at Christmas yeah. and then I generally go through again sort of three weeks into January and knock everything back again. So if it gets two knockbacks, great. If it mm. only gets one, that's fine. Um, it just helps keep them at, like a lot shorter. And more manageable, like um, oh, and yeah. the wind, yeah. the wind wouldn't get up into the tops as it would um, if they were taller, would it? No, um, exactly. And I'm short; I can't pick anything above four feet. So <laughs> if it's if it's low, then I can manage that. Having never met you, Kel, I I had no idea. But uh, just to, to, for everyone at home, knocking them back, how much do you take off? And you take this off the whole plant. Yeah, so I take it off the whole plant. So the first one I generally do, like the, the growing tip plus a set of leaves. So I don't yep. do a really deep one. I just do no. it like a short one. Um, and then I sort of take two sets of leaves on the second one. But it depends. Like if I'm going to take cuttings of something I've only got one plant of, I'll, mm. I'll take a bit of a deeper cut and use that as a cutting at the same time. Yep. No, that makes sense. That's a, that's and, a really smart way yeah. of doing it, isn't it? Like being able to not just toss it out but to to get a cutting from it yeah use it again and you know like quite often if i pull some off and it's you know it's a good size i'll just chuck it in a container with compost and if they grow they just get handed out to people you know yeah. i've got no idea what this is but here you go take the plant as a healthcare worker is your work colleagues very into gardening 
have you found oh, that it's in- actually it's funny you say that we've literally just started a gardening group at work um we you know we tried book club we tried bake club and they stuck yep. for a little while but all of us have good gardens and all of us grow our own food and so we've literally just started a garden club and it's so uh, much fun i love it i love it so <laughs> then you could swap the plants i love that Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's bulbs and plants and vegetables and and you know like artichoke going everywhere. It's it's fantastic and you know we're doing like big round robins to everyone's garden so we can introduce each other to what we grow. And here I am thinking, oh, there's all these future dahlia growers I can get in. <laughs> Welcome, come and <laughs> recruit. Yeah, exactly. I love yeah, that. Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. And, and Kel, can you tell us? Um, you're in Tasmania, so getting to Ubers to you, I know it's sometimes hairy. Is there more? Um, yes. <laughs> like, how do you how do you overcome that? Because I know the Tasmanian people would be so grateful that you know some years you do sell your tubers, oh, but yeah. how do you then get stock? Yeah. Um, spend a small fortune and work a lot of overtime. Like yes. honestly, it's it's really expensive, and I have just made the decision to cop that cost. Yeah. Um, to get those varieties into the state. Um, it was a lot easier a few years ago before everybody got obsessed with dahlias. Um, yes. But now it's slightly more challenging, um, but that's okay. Like I have a really good relationship with a couple of different growers and, you know, they sort of give me a buzz and say, hey, I've got this, are you interested? Um, so that's that's really nice to be thought of as someone that, you know, might potentially distribute these later on um oh, so yeah like i spend a lot of money on quarantine and then i grow them and try to sell them to tassies first basically yeah you're doing a and service for all of tasmania really i try, no, truly it's so hard <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's awesome because i i know that i often see on the dahlia group that we're both part of we don't send a tassie i just i wondered if things had got any yeah. easier for you or no, it's still the same. no, I actually think it's got harder, to be honest. Like the last 12 to 18 months, it's actually got harder because quarantine have changed a couple of things and, yeah. It, yeah, it's challenging. And, like, I don't at all think that that's not a good thing. I think it's fantastic that we have such an isolated flora and fauna down here that we need to keep protected. But it sure does make having a plant hobby hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, Kel, yeah. um, would you have, would you be... Like I know there's a, a, a few great growers down in Tasmania. I'm talking about the Smiths oh, and yeah. um, yes, yes, uh, the Formbees. Um, yeah, but uh, d- is there more growers in your area? Would you say or there's oh, artful dahlias? Growers, yes, but not yeah. So they're they're local. They're sort of half yep. an hour from where I am, and I, I love that they have started up another f- farm, so to speak. They're across two properties, but I, I love what they're doing. Um, there's look there's lots of people that grow dahlias there's um obviously hut flower farm and cosmos mm. and kale are also very local and they both grow dahlias for what they do um but there's not a lot that are just doing dahlias anymore and all all our sort of tassie breeders as such nearly all of them live in the north of the state oh, um, okay because their season's so much longer than ours down here oh um, okay yeah and there's sort of there's not a lot of new breeders coming through um but we've got a got a few younger ones that are coming through the section that i think you know in the next sort of five years there might be a bit of a shift hopefully fingers crossed 
Yeah, no, that'd be awesome. Just to save on those quarantine costs anyway. Uh, Absolutely. And we, <laughs> and we would love to see more. I love some of the dahlias that are bred in Tasmania, so it'd be great, you know, for us oh, yeah. northerners We're, as well. Absolutely. We are so spoilt for the history that's come out of this state with dahlia breeding that, you know, I kind of feel it's like our responsibility to try and keep the dahlia, Tassie dahlias up, you know, and keep oh. them going because they've paved the way for a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, like I, I really like that we can try and keep that going. And, and just for everyone at home, is um, just correct me if I'm wrong, Formby Monarch and Formby Duke are Tasmanian bred? Oh, is yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So, yeah. Um, yep. They were bred by um, George Harding um, a long time ago and his daughter and her husband are now breeding, so um, Karen and Brian, so they breed KB dailies down here. Um, and, yeah, so the Formby brand is very well known in Tassie and there's, you know, there's lots of little older varieties that are still kicking around down here that probably wouldn't be seen on the mainland anymore. They're that old. So it's really nice to see these older ones that have been around for a long time are still, you know, still big in popular, you know, showing as well as growing. And uh, they're they're obviously perfect for your climate and also stable, which a lot of dahlias aren't. Oh, they're so stable, yeah. Yeah. I've I've never seen one revert to a single from them. So, you know, that's nice. That is breeding stock. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Interestingly, like yeah. even we, I've got Formby Crest here, and you know, oh yeah, yeah. Considering how far away from home it is, does quite well in our climate. Yeah, yeah it's funny because some of the Queensland ones do terribly down here. Um, mm. Like I've got a few granites and a few corabels down here, and some of them are beautiful, and some of them you're just like, that is clearly not doing very well down here. Go back to your hot zone. Like you yeah. don't like it down here. Um, so, yeah, no. it's interesting how, depending on where they're bred, how they'll grow. So, yeah, it's interesting. And, um, Kelly, you've talked about your climate a little bit, but I, I know you've had, um, like, some animal problems in the past. Like, could you tell us some of your struggles <laughs> and how you've oh, overcome the them? Yes, oh, I do the remember them. <laughs> oh, I didn't want to mention yeah, so them if it's case. Year. No, it's okay. it's okay. I've almost recovered. Almost. Okay. Um, yeah, so there was one year... I had maybe 300 plants um, and I'd managed to get my hands on some of the unicorn varieties and I was like, right, this is going to be the best year. There was three months with not a drop of rain. We had massive bushfires very close to where I live. Um, And then sort of mid-February I was like, oh, something's got in, but, you know, patch that one. Oh, something's got in, I've patched that spot. And then one night I, I heard them and I've come outside and, like, no joke, there were wallabies in the patch everywhere. They not mm. only ate the plants, they dug up and ate the tubers. So needless to say, I didn't sell anything that year. I, I was literally replanting half nibble tubers and I lost so many varieties. Um, it was a little bit heartbreaking. It was like, do I really want to do this again? So then spent a small fortune on fencing and electric fencing and tubers to replace the ones that I lost. Um, yeah, it was it was wild. <laughs> it was, I've never seen anything quite like it. They were hungry. 
Armageddon of Dahlia Patch. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And to make it worse, the following year, another lady in my Dahlia section had exactly the same thing happen to her, and she she basically lost her entire stock. She couldn't, you know, couldn't really save anything. So, you know, it was like, oh, at least I'm not the only one. But darn the wallabies. Yeah, yeah that's heartbreaking. Yeah. There's something yeah. about Dahlia, like Dahlia leaves and, and tubers just must be so damn tasty because yeah, it's like oh, the first, yeah. when my chickens go free roaming in my, my yard, it's the first thing they go for is Dahlia leaves. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, I don't I don't have a compost pile for my dahlias because I just, I throw them over the fence and the sheep and the cows eat the foliage and then my two cowgirls, they just come and they clean up all the tubers and it's like, great, I don't have to compost anything. Yeah. No. Wow. Good fertilizer. Kelly, I just seem to remember um, yes. then you having growing in some sort of enclosure. Are you still doing that? Is that is that Yeah, so I've got um I've got about mm, it's probably just a bit a smidge over half an acre that is mm. fenced off within my property. Um that is pretty much as vermin proof as I can get it. And cow proof, funnily enough, because they tried that too. Mm. But um yeah, it <laughs> It was a big undertaking to put it in and, mm. you know, like it was joked at the time that I've now built my flower patch in the prime house site on the property but I didn't and I still don't care. <laughs> it's beautiful no. up there. Um, so, yeah, like I'm really happy I spent the money and the time doing that because it's meant I can, well, leave my plants in the ground and they're not eaten by the wallabies. So well worth it. Like if, if you're going to do anything for your dahlias, make sure they're fenced off appropriately because if something can get in once it will get in again um so we're well worth the time and effort spent to do that i think that's great advice kelly and do you grow under shade cloth mm -hmm. on in that enclosure or no it's, it's no, probably I too big tried it it is too big um if i was going to do it at all i'd just do it for my little show section sure. um but to be honest we only get sort of half, half a dozen really hot days here um and i don't have that many varieties that fade out in the sun anyway because i don't like red so i don't grow red um me neither so, yeah it's not yeah, i just don't like it it's like it's only good for february and then nobody wants it either so no it's not worth it yeah. uh, i know i know that's unpopular in the show growers um repertoire but oh, um, i can understand <laughs> completely like they laughed at me when i said i was growing white dahlias for showing this year and then i took out the championship so i was like well, i told you it could be done <laughs> so kelly just so you took out the grand champion of your um section yeah for the novice look for the novice section i'll be brutally honest it was the novice section um but yeah i'd gone from not not you know numbering at all the previous year for my first year of showing to yeah, doing really yeah. well with my dahlias this year. And it's a bit of a surprise, actually, um, to win with the one I did. I almost didn't take the bloom that did win. I was just like, oh, I'm not real sure, but I'll put it in anyway. And, yeah, <laughs> then the president rang me. He's like, did you know? I was like, what? Um, but, yeah, that was a nice little surprise. But, you know, it's a nice way to kind of start off your showing sort of career, so to speak. Absolutely. And and what bloom was it for every home? I, I've seen a picture uh, of it, I think. But. Yeah, yeah. It was actually Ropewood Jan. Oh, so, well, that is a huge congratulations. Yeah. So will you then have to go Thanks. up into intermediate or 
How does, how does your section work? <laughs> so once you, you win grand you don't champion, have to. no, no. So okay. you you have you can win your section three years in a row before moving up, um, or you can move yourself up. Okay. So um, the ones that are also showing an intermediate, we've all started growing at the same time. So look, to be honest, I probably will just exhibit an intermediate this year, um, and and sort of leave novice. We had like half a dozen brand new exhibitors this year bring in their flowers. So to be honest, I'll That's go awesome. up and I'll yep. leave novice for, for novice people. Um, you know, I yep. kind of feel a bit cheeky exhibiting in novice when I've got 2,000 plants. It's a bit unfair, really. <laughs> but, yeah, you haven't been showing that long, so, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. No, no, it's a different way of growing when you're going to exhibit them, I think. It's, you know, it sort of takes a whole lot more time and effort and observation of your plants to be able to show them successfully. Absolutely. And um, Kelly, how did you learn to show? Was it, did you have a bit of a mentor in the society or? Yeah, a little bit. So I'd been to a lot of shows as a, just an observer, mm. um, mainly just to kind of get all the good varieties. But, um, mm. you know, it was when I first started showing our, well, our now president um, did a few little kind of workshops and was like, this is how you stage a bloom. Um, which yeah. was really beneficial because I was just plonking them in a beer bottle and <laughs> taking them to the show when I first started. Um, so, you know, knowing how to use the right tools to get them to look good. And, you know, it was funny. We sort of did ourselves a challenge and picked the worst bloom that we all brought and showed it, you know, set it up as if yeah. we're going to show it. And it's amazing how much difference actually staging them properly makes to a bad flower. Um, so yeah, that was, that was probably the most helpful thing was, you know, how, how to actually stage it properly and, you know, which, which size vessel to use for which flowers and how to do three in a vase and, you know, how to set up three of a kind kind of thing. So that was really good. And then, you know, the good old, you know, every single exhibitor will come through and go, that's not a show one. That's not a show one. That's really pretty, but it's still not a show one. So, um, you know, you quickly kind of knock those varieties off your showing list, um, and then they're like, oh, that's been around forever, but that hasn't won a show since 2002. And you're like, oh, I'm not going to show that anymore. <laughs> oh, it is. It's, it's different. It's a totally different way of growing, isn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. And Kelly, we've spoken about it um, briefly, about how you separate your patch into the show variety and then your um, just dahlias that you love and want to produce tubers from. But I know you used to yeah. um, do this epic Excel spreadsheet and used to have all the uh balls together yes yes in size yep. and oh, color form then size from memory do you still yep. do that yes look yes i did last year um so i had my my show row which was just one row last year which is about 80 plants um wow and still then, a lot yeah i had them it is still a lot. So I had I didn't do size this year or last season because there was just too many varieties, but I did do by type. Um, yep. So all my decorators were together and that was pretty intentional too So because I knew I wanted to pollinate later in the season. So, you know, I don't want my cactus intermingled with my decks and get these weird and wonderful looking things. So all my decks were together, all my cactus were together, you know, the fimbriators were next to the cactus so that they could pollinate each other and hopefully get some new fims and then it was by colour and I never want to see another peach dahlia in my life, honestly. Really? It was really <laughs> challenging. Oh, it was so hard. And, you know, I, I even went to the 
to the like extent of I printed out little sort of 10 by 10 photo cards um, and sort of sat them in my lounge room and basically took my lounge room over and sort of coloured them in order and, oh, it was massive. Wow. It's, <laughs> it, it looked awesome. Like, don't get me wrong, it looked awesome and even the sorting wasn't that hard but the mm. planting them was a nightmare. It was just so fiddly. It took me twice as long as it should have. And now that I haven't dug everything, it won't happen this year. Might happen on a smaller scale maybe, but yeah, this year is just going to be get them in the ground, I think. Um, and and then, you know, take pretty pictures of rainbow dahlias instead. I love that. Well, Kelly, hats off to you for your efforts. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> Thanks. The <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about management and, and, and our plant management? So you said that in the next two to three months, you're going to get 70% of your rainfall. And so yeah. you, is that going into tanks? And then how do you irrigate? Oh, <laughs> see, this is a Well, you might not irrigate. Because I haven't, yeah. oh, I've got to say, I haven't irrigated in three years. Oh, um, wow. Where, I just, yeah, instantly sorry. I just feel a it's wave amazing. of jealousy. <laughs> I know, I know. So it is awesome until you get a year like we did where we honestly did not have a drop of rain between the first week of December and the last week of February. And, of course, I had no infrastructure in place because I don't irrigate. No. That was a hard learn. That was, yeah, that was the year pretty much everything died. So, yeah, yeah. that was a learning curve. Um, What's your annual do... rainfall there? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, oh, Peter's obsessed be, with this topic. between... Well, it's funny because I've actually put a weather station on my roof so I can get super accurate data for my farm. Um, anywhere between 800 and 1600 mil a year. Yep, yeah. yep. I, I love the yeah. attention to detail that you put into it. Like you have a weather station on your farm, the color-coded, organized yeah. patch. Like uh, you're oh, yeah. after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. A li little bit uh, too obsessed, some would say, but that's okay. Not at all. But, yeah, so like. All my water, um, I have half a dozen different dams on my property um, wow. of varying sizes so I can okay. irrigate off them. But I also have multiple tanks um, off my house that floods up to like a higher tank that I can hold. And then I've just brought myself a brand new shed and that will have big tanks off of it. So, um, you know, there's a lot of water, but I've also got yeah. the ability to hold a lot of water. Which is, which is awesome. Just in case, um, yeah. hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it just rains, but obviously you get so much rain that it, it turns into a problem for you. How do you overcome that with raised oh, beds? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I first built my patch where it is now, I used a tractor attachment to build the beds up because nobody wants to do that many by hand. Um, so build them up and I'm just adding to them every year. So I don't flatten them back out. I don't, you know, I don't till them flat and then go again. I've, I've just add more compost and mm. more organic matter to the top of them and just try to build them up. Um, to be honest, I'm probably going over the next couple of years to change to actually built beds um, just for weed pressure more than anything else because um, the weeds up here are manic because, it, you know, it was a paddock. It was grazed mm. over. It was grown over with produce. The weeds are feral. So by building them up into actual beds, it's going to make it a little bit easier to maintain them. But that'll be an ongoing process over the next couple of years. Um, hardwood sleepers, raised yep. beds? Yep. yep. Okay. Yeah. It, it sounds yep. like you, you've you got a so. pretty solid emphasis there on like 
Like I know that you like doing the regenerative agriculture pod uh, practices and yeah. and the sustainable yeah. kind of ways. The could you yes. talk us through a little bit of that? Like how how you try and be a bit more regenerative about the way you uh, produce your flowers? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we trying really hard to regenerate the farm and that is like our 10-year plan here um, to do the whole of the farm basically um, but with the dahlias I'm sort of trialing things in that patch because you know it is a little uncontrolled patch and um, so at the moment what we're doing we don't use any chemicals we don't use any artificial you know fertilizers or anything at the moment it's you know kind of water and animal poo and a little bit of additional sort of organic fertilizer when we plant and then everything else yep. is is just whatever nature happens to give us um we grow a green manure crop every two years on on the patch um and we don't do it every year purely for timing um yep. because our season's so short and our temperatures drop really quickly in may if we don't get a green crop in by the middle of may it won't grow so that year we pull the dahlias early um and we put a green crop in um and then we just let that grow and then i'll i'll cut it back and i'll let the animals in to graze it down um you know rather than sort of let it all go into the compost they all can graze it down and you know fertilize their way across the patch and then i just cover it so i cover each row for anywhere up to six weeks depending on what i'm using that row for that year and then we compost we have to get truckloads of compost in um, it's usually about 10 cubic metres a, a wow. truckload and I usually get two, sometimes three. Wow. Um, and, yeah, just a whole heap of compost on top. And what we've found is every time we've tilled it to flatten it and rebuild it, the weed mm. pressure the next year is horrendous. Um, so this year is really bad already um, and it'll be, you know, kind of cover compost, cover compost this year, I think. And I imagine the year um, after you till it too, you find you, like your water runoff's worse and, you know, there's a lot oh, of... Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, You're just destroying that soil structure every time you till it. And, like, I know a lot of people still do it that way and that's what works for them. But, you know, my soil depth is lucky to be 10 centimetres in some places. So, and I'm on a hard clay pan. So mm. the less soil disturbance I do, the better it is here. I, I just really love how that you're winning you're winning grand championship and you are <laughs> following you know you're not using any chemical fertilizers like that's actually nah, really nah. rare within the Dahlia showing community extremely oh I know Absolutely. oh I know and I don't you are I the exception anything oh I just it's funny like I see you know a lot of them are like oh I've got thrips so I'm going to spray with this broad you know insecticide and I'm just like oh no um, but a large part of that is because I, my animals do eat my dahlias. They do eat the offcuts and I don't want to be exposing them to that or my family. So, you know, that's a very conscious choice we've made. And, you know, nobody wants to weed 10 acres of paddock. It's not fun. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. So, you know, it's, it's just a choice we've made here. But I, it, it is paying off. Well, you're winning championships, you know. Of course yeah, it is. Thanks. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome because I, I try and do it here. I like, and and I, a lot of the guys I've spoken to within the Dahlia Society were like, oh, you know, not possible. Where, where did a guy try it once? And and they did it for a year and they, they didn't try it again the next year. And I'm like, well, 
you, yeah. you kind of needed to it's not an instant thing like i don't think a year is enough time to give your soil and your no you know it enough time to build its health back up to where you can grow no like i read that. somewhere that it takes a minimum of three years for your soil to recover from you know most of the general sprays we've got and that's without taking the massive industrial sprays some people still use and mm. yeah i just think the less we can use the better for us and if you have to use it by all means go ahead and use it but you know that that has to be a very personal choice i think could i know this is a bit of a, a bit of a question out of the blue but do if what are some regenerative practices that people could practice in their backyard Oh, that's a great question. I love that. Um, so the two things that you could probably do the most are grow something for your soil. So yep. that can be easy as, oh, I found an old packet of peas in my cupboard. Throw them in the soil and let them flower, let them make more peas, dig them in because they're great for your soil. They're fantastic. Um, and rotate your, rotate your crops. doesn't matter whether it's food, flowers. Like I never grow my decks in the same place twice. I always move them. Yep. Um, because, you know, different plants have different needs and will pull different things from the soil. Yep. So by rotating them, you're easing that pressure on, on your soil. So, you know, you can plant different things. There's, you know, there's tons of books you can read about what you can plant for your soil and what you can add to your soil and use what you've got available to you because anything is better than nothing. Yeah, I, I guess it's kind of like you're trying to make it a bit more of a closed loop where it's like the... You're not yeah. adding that many inputs and you're not having that much output. No. You know, you're, it's it kind of yeah, yeah. It's a loop. Exactly. Keep all, you know, by keeping all your waste in your garden and composting your own waste, you're, you're adding to the nutrition of the soil there as well. So, you know, little things. Get some chooks. They're great for your garden. Oh, we've got a couple of, a couple here, but <laughs> I tell you what, they they will do near on as much damage as uh, sheep or wallabies oh, no. or anything. Yeah, they're terrible. Yeah. yeah, I'll let them in at the end of the season. I'll let them go wild, but they're not yeah. before then. <laughs> no, I, I, at this time of year when planning's happening, uh, they're in their pen and then I'll, I'll let them yep. out. Or, you know, it's too yeah. too much on the line at this point in the season. Absolutely. Don't even look at the place. Just stay there and don't move. <laughs> <laughs> you can come in soon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'll feed you a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and Kel, can I just ask you, um, like we get mites terribly up here and that's I think that's where oh, yeah. the harsh chemicals come in. Do you get that sort of yeah. pest pressure there and what? how do you, I know you don't do sprays, but is there anything organic you do? Oh, so it's funny, like since moving up to my patch, which is literally surrounded by paddock now, there's a whole new range of pests that I have to deal with that I didn't have to deal with before in such a little kind of section. So um i had spider mite last year um mm. just and just the webs that were coming up out of the ground from some oh. of the spiders and oh it was atrocious it was like <laughs> what's that glistening and then you're like oh i know what that is um look to be honest last year i, I did resort to pyrethrum mm. on my show plants um which you know is still organic in the sense that it's a natural ingredient but um Look, it, it stopped the worst of it on them and I just kind of left the others. Um, but also grasshoppers and you can't do anything about them other than find yourself a flock of ducks. Um, oh, but, yeah, so last year I kind of played around with planting marigolds and nasturtiums in amongst oh. my rows, um, which got really busy. <laughs> there was a lot of foliage going on. <laughs> um, 
but it did seem to work like they seemed all the bugs kind of seemed to preferentially hide in there and sort of munch their way through them as opposed to the dahlias so you know i mean it's a lot on my scale to do kind of companion planting but i think if you're you know growing 100 or less plants it could be really effective um but yeah it's hard like you know i've got a a bit of a hedge going on as a windbreak and there's a whole lot of things coming out of that now that I'm like, I've never seen that before. What's that? So, yeah, it's, I don't know. And it seems to be cyclic. Like one year you'll get nothing and the next year you'll get everything. And you're just like, oh, I'm not showing this year. <laughs> Everything's eaten. Yeah. yeah. I think I think with stuff like spider mite too, the healthier, you know, your plants are, the, the less yeah. they, they feel that pressure from them as well, like or the more less susceptible they are. So I guess like that's probably why, you know, you were able to kind of just control it with just perinthium or perithum. Yeah. And then you were able to leave your other patch just run run wild because, you know. Yeah, just run wild because it doesn't affect the tubers. Like the tubers are fine. I mean, I get some nematodes and some worms that kind of eat their way through some of the tubers. But, you know, as a broad rule, there's not too many bug problems that will affect your tubers. So even if you've had a rubbish year and your flowers have been terrible, just take the flowers off the plant, feed the plant, and your tubers are going to be awesome for the year after. Yeah, you've broke even, you know, like correct. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I saw someone yesterday, and they were just they were so nervous about dividing their tubers. I'm like, look, as long as one tuber with one shoot survives. Yes. Oh, see, I'm the same. I'm like, if I get any more than two per plant, some years, I'm good. Like, I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. You've doubled your stock. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the space of 12 months. Go you. <laughs> this is just a quick fight. I know you've visited some of uh, the best dahlia gardens in Australia. <laughs> it's true you travel and you um, you see the good ones. I do, what, yeah. Who would you suggest uh, when the world opens oh, up again? Go where should see. we go? Yeah. Oh, so out of the ones I have looked, to be honest, I haven't seen that many on the mainland. I would like to see a whole lot more. But, um, like, obviously, if you, you're not going to Jenny Parish's um, in Victoria, then you're doing something wrong because her <laughs> collection is incredible. And it's, like, it's funny, like, her, I don't like her place just for the quantity and the variety of dahlias. I love the way she set it out as a display garden. It's just incredible. Oh, Jenny's amazing. Like yeah. she's a wealth of knowledge and she's been amazing to me and taught me so much stuff that I would never would have learnt before. Um, so, yeah, hers is definitely one I would say go to. Um, there's one that I would like to go to that's Highland Dahlias, which is just uh. outside of Victoria on the other side um, that I would love to go and see. Actually, but, uh, with, and then we might be having Gerald on the podcast in a future episode. I don't know if oh, I can say great. that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny. I um I got introduced to a lot of different growers at the latest conference that I hadn't met before, and yeah, he was one that was like very helpful and very warm and welcoming. So that was really oh. nice. Um, especially the lone Tasmanian there this year it was like, oh, here we go. I'm a token Tassie. Um, <laughs> really, but. Yeah, I was the only one that went over because it was a total oh. schmozzle to get over there because it was, yeah. you know, COVID was rearing its ugly yeah. head, of course. But, yeah, no, it was it was nice to, you know, go take one for the team and get over there. Um, and did you and like, honestly, that one? If you, I did, yeah, I did, yeah. I did, which I is not like things. me at all. 
Oh, thank you. Because um, I don't do public speaking in any way, shape, or form. But yet here we are again. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I did. I did present at that one, and it was a bit of a roundtable of you know your daily patch and what you do to it, and you know how many you're growing and your problems and your favourite dahlias and that sort of thing. So that was kind of a nice way to sort of introduce myself to the bigger growing world because I'd kind of been a bit of a lurker for a couple of years. So that was nice. We might see you in Queensland for the for the next one, hey? Oh yeah, no, completely. Like if I can get there, I'm I'm coming. Well, we, <laughs> we can't yeah, wait to meet you in person. No doubt. Yeah, oh, it'll be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. And um, Cal, what you've been to a few conferences now? Um, yeah. You know, ha- has these conferences changed the way you've grown dahlias? And if so, you know how? Oh, completely. Like my first conference was in Devonport, um, so here in Tassie, mm. and that's literally why I went because it was in Tassie. Um, so, yeah, if you have a conference in your state, please go. Um, yes. You just meet the most incredible, knowledgeable people and, like, that's probably when I joined the society down here, to be honest, because there was another member that went and I'd never met him before, never seen him before, and it was like, oh, you're from Hobart, great, <laughs> tell me everything. Um, <laughs> so, and, you know, there's there's people that I met there that I have formed ongoing relationships with, you know, Karen and Brian Smith that exhibit in the north of the state and then bring their dahlias down south. Um, Warren, obviously, who you had on last episode, met him there um so yeah it's it's sort of taught me how not to grow dahlias more than how to grow dahlias if that makes sense Absolutely. um i was the token gardener who threw the bulbs in the ground and walked away and was just like just grow for me and yeah. you know they are easy to grow but you do actually need to grow them <laughs> they don't just do it themselves so um yeah i just the information and the presentations and like this year the presentation on bugs was just incredible and i'm like i've seen that problem i know how to fix that now um so like every year you learn something new and i think that's probably the take-home thing from it is that no matter how much you do know and how long you've been growing and you know how much of an expert you may be considered in the field you're going to learn something new every year um so yeah well worth growing Oh, absolutely. And um, Kelly, uh, you've sp- spoken about your unicorn dahlia. Uh, <laughs> what, what would it be this year? Oh, I've got my unicorn dahlia this year. You've got it. What? Hint, hint. Oh, what was it? Um, it was oh, the tuba auction. Granite Kylie. Yeah, the tuba auction. That, yeah, yeah. That I have, look, honestly, someone sent me a picture of this who she grows in WA so she's got the same problems I do getting dahlias and we've honestly every year we've been coveting this dahlia and trying to find somebody that grows it and then there was a whisper that there was somebody in Tassie growing it and I was going to hunt them down like it didn't matter how many phone calls and door knocks it took and then the list for the auction came out at the (gasps) conference and it was on the on the list and I'm like right if I get one dahlia, it's going to be that dahlia, and I do not care how much I'm going to pay for it. <laughs> so, can yeah, you? I got that can dahlia. you tell us how much you paid for it? Because I, oh, I have it wasn't heard. that bad. I it, okay. it was, I think it was seventy or eighty dollars for yes. a, like it's a little pot tuber, so I'll be able to split it in half. I'll get two oh, plants awesome. this year, um, which I think, like honestly, compared to some that have gone for two hundred and twenty, two hundred and fifty dollars in previous years, which. I'd, I'd like to say I'd never pay for a dahlia, but, you know, if a couple came along that we'd never seen before, maybe, 
Um, yeah. But, yeah, like that's a lot of money to spend on one tuber. It's a lot of money. And then I if it doesn't grow, I, there'd probably be I'd tears. Be I reckon. It'd yeah. be horrible. Yeah. But at least you know as a pot tuber, you know, it, you've Oh, that's right. like to start off a plant, that's the best kind you want. I mean, I'll be honest, it's a pain in the neck to divide at the end of the season. Mm. But you just get such a better quality plant. And if you're going to use it for cuttings, you can get 20 or 30 cuttings off of a one pot tuber. So, you know, use it wisely. The, the mm. price you pay doesn't seem that bad when you take into account that, you know, you can, you've got to multiply it. Like oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's not a variety I will sell in the next three years. So I will just multiply my stock exponentially. So I think it, it's a good investment, you know. No, oh, absolutely. And um, just uh, uh, just one last question, um, Kel, <laughs> your favourite dahlia? Oh, I hate this question. <laughs> um, Sorry. No, no, that's okay. No, okay, so my favourite dahlia the last season would probably be Rokul Jan. Um, so it's a little white miniature decorative. It honestly, it bloomed from the middle of January to June when I dug the thing up. Wow. It made beautiful seeds. It just... It did not stop off of one tuber. The only fault I have with it is I think I've got one and a little bit of tuber. That's it didn't oh. make a lot of tubers, um, so it had better grow because otherwise I'll be very sad. Um, but like, I like different kinds of dahlias and I like different ones every year. Um, one I probably consistently absolutely love and pick out um, is Alpine Charm um which is a to show variety it's it's a garden variety but it's that you know beautiful peachy pink creamy color that you know everybody wants except it's you know the size of a small decorative so it's very usable um and there's an, an anemone called daisy which is my favorite sheep's name which is why i brought it but it's the most beautiful <laughs> flower so that's i my have seen that's this one my favorite <laughs> Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, and I have seen Daisy like pictures of us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah of yeah, your Daisy, your child, so. yes, Daisy. That is yeah. my child, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. So, um, yeah, so that's that's like a little bit of a sentimental one, but it's also very beautiful. So, yeah, they're probably my favourites. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And um, just one <laughs> last question, I promise, Kel. It's just been so great to talk to you. But um, yeah, yeah, what absolutely. would you recommend? Like, you know how many new growers and new um, dahlia enthusiasts oh, there are. What would you recommend um, to those starting out? As in which ones to grow or just how to do it? Oh, how to do it. Like, what would you recommend to those starting out? Like, oh, you know, so something that you you've learned along the way. Oh, don't water the thing when you plant it would be my hottest tip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> please, please don't water your tubers. Um no, no, like the best thing you can do for if you're going first is to give it a good start and give it some good soil and put some compost into your soil. Um, I mean, it'll grow in anything. The things will grow in sand, let's be honest. Mm. But mm. if you want really good flowers, plant it in good soil and then when it does start to grow, make sure it's watered through summer. But honestly, it's they do grow themselves. So... Um, you know, for the beginners, just to get that flower and that wow factor, you don't have to do too much to it. Don't love it too much. They actually do better when they're a bit neglected, I've found. So, um, you know, give it a good start with lots of compost and then it will take care of itself. 
Oh, I love that. I, I definitely have babied some of mine too much at the tuber stage. And oh, me too. Them. Yeah. Yep. And they just, yep, yep. It's like, please, please do not water your tubers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for that, Kelly. It's been, um, yeah, it's been fantastic talking to you today and picking your brains on all things Dahlia's down there in no, Tassie. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Fantastic no, thank questions. You. Oh, well, we've, we've loved talking to you. So thank you so much. Awesome. No, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me.